I think we need to uh, give special thanks to Dave this month. <clears throat> he drew the straw to read scripture, and we're in Chronicles all month. Um, so he gets all those Old Testament names. Well, believe it or not, when it comes to technology, I can be a rather a geek at times. And last year I won an award at work, and with that award came a Visa gift card. And that gift card laid around my desk at my office for a while, and until this Christmas when I decided to buy myself a 3D printer, something I always wanted, and I needed to have the full experience. So I bought the kind with some assembly required. That's what this picture shows, Christmas, all these parts scattered out all over the counter. And I spent hours putting this 3D printer together, getting it all ready. And when I finally got it together and saw the first parts come off the bed, I was really, really excited. This is the finished product. This is what it looks like. But then what happened is, it was this was Christmas vacation. I had a lot of time on my hands, so I started to read about 3D printing. And I started to watch YouTube videos about 3D printing. And I discovered something. There's more out there than what I had. And I found out that you could upgrade your printer. And not only could you upgrade it, you could print the upgrades and upgrade it yourself. So because I had to geek out on it, then it, it, it launched into endless cycles of tearing the printer apart, putting new parts on it, rebuilding it again. And I don't know if you can see it in this picture or not, but if you look closely, there's more hanging on that printer. And anything that's in light gray, I printed myself and added to the printer. Now, what I discovered is that every time I went through a cycle of upgrades, I was quite happy with what I had. It was good. There was nothing deficient about it. But because I knew there was more out there, because I knew that there was more to be had, I had this healthy dissatisfaction with my printer that drove me into another round of upgrades. And those upgrades still continue. It's February this afternoon. I'll be tearing it apart again and putting some more pieces on it. Well, in a way, what I've described is the theme of this sermon series that we're calling Renewal. We all need it. And Keith introduced the series a few weeks ago, and this is the big idea for the series. This is what's in the red bar at the top of your bulletin. We said renewal flows from a prayerful response to our spiritual dissatisfaction. And Keith reminded us that our spiritual journey is not linear. It's not linear growth from the time we're saved to the time we Christ returns for us. There are fits and starts, there are ebbs and flows, there are high points and there are low points for each of us. None of us are immune to it. And maybe sometimes we, we come to realize that we've just settled and that where we are is, is just good enough. Or sometimes we've realized that there's a kind of a staleness to our spiritual walk. In those times, there can develop a healthy dissatisfaction, and there should. The healthy dissatisfaction that says, I don't want to remain where I am. I want more. There may be times that we are experience great blessing in our spiritual lives, 
We're communing with God. We're learning more about him. We have deep relationships with another brother or sister in Christ. And things are going well. And at those times, we should be developing a healthy dissatisfaction. Because once we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we should want more and more of him. God, if I experience this much, how much more is there? And I want more. Can you imagine what eternity is going to be like with an infinite God when there's never an end to more? I can't, but it should excite us. And it's in those times that we need, in our dissatisfaction, that we need to yearn for God to renew and revive us. How should we respond to this dissatisfaction? It's found in this cornerstone verse that we've been using for this series, Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, Christians, will humble themselves, will seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, will pray. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. Now, what Keith also clarified for us is this last promise. This verse applies to us as New Covenant Christians. Now, for the Old Covenant believer, the Old Testament Jew, this meant a piece of dirt on the Mediterranean Sea that God had given to the people of Israel. And God had promised them, the land is the object of my covenant promises. And when you do these things, when you seek renewal from me, I will ensure a healthy land. For us, as this verse is so often used, this does not mean that when God's people do all the right things, his chosen nation of America will be blessed. God could choose to bless. God can and does choose to revive communities and cultures and neighborhoods and churches and, yes, even nations. And we should pray for those things. But our land promise as New Testament believers will be fulfilled at Christ's second return. See, we do have a land promise. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. But even before then, we don't have to wait. Because God's covenant promises break through into our current reality. And we experience tastes of them now. Now, I had a question posed to me this week. Well, what are my covenant promises? That's a good question for an entire sermon series. But just listen to Ephesians chapter 1. Read verse 13 and 14. It says, in Christ... You, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that's our salvation. We understand we're sinners before a holy God. We bow the knee. We ask Jesus to forgive us our sins, and we repent of those sins. And God does an amazing work within us and gives us Christ's righteousness so that we can stand before him justified. It says, when that happens... Each one of us, young, old, teenager, child, senior citizen, when we were saved, it says this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our future inheritance. 
What he means by guarantee is he's our down payment. We each believer receives the Holy Spirit, and that is the proof that the ultimate fulfillment of the land, the new heavens and the new earth, the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant blessings are certain. But he gives us that Holy Spirit now. And if you take the time to go through Scripture and you see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, you'll understand what our covenant promises are. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Fulfilled when the Holy Spirit, a member of the triune Trinity, the triune God, dwells with his people. You don't know how to pray? I promise I will pray for you with groanings that can't be uttered. You don't understand scripture? I promise to teach and instruct and bring these things to mind. You're weak? The Holy Spirit's strong. You don't know what way to go? The Holy Spirit will grant wisdom. These are our covenant promises today. And when we seek renewal in this area, God is faithful to make sure his covenant promises are fulfilled within us. And it's in these experiences of covenant blessing that we should want more when we taste it. And we should seek renewal in our lives. Well, how does renewal come about? It's a good question. And that's the subject of these middle four sermons that we're, we're discussing. Second Chronicles 7.14 gave us these four normal spiritual practices. This is not something extraordinary or out of the way that we only do occasionally. These are the normal spiritual practices that God has given every one of us to do. And we can do all of them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Three weeks ago, Dave talked about humility. And I quote the theologian Dave Eckert, who says, Humility says, I've come to the end of myself, and I've realized that I need more than myself for meaningful change to occur. Because he reminded us that our own outward success can be very deceiving. Financial or, or success on a sports team or in my social group, all of these things can make us feel successful and translate that to success in our spiritual lives, but that's not necessarily the case. For growth and renewal in our spiritual lives, we need something more outside of ourselves. And that's what the Holy Spirit, the God of heaven, does for us. And then last week, Keith talked to us about what it means to seek God's face. And he said it requires an all-encompassing pursuit of our God. And he reminded us that we pursue him in relationship. When we're saved, we enter into a new relationship with him as sons and daughters. We pursue him in knowledge. We read the scripture. We, we, we understand what his word says, what his will is for us. We understand his character and we should pursue that knowledge. And then we, we, we pursue his face. We seek his face by being obedient to his will. And so that's where we've come to this point. This week we'll talk about prayer, and then next week Keith will pick up turning from our wicked ways. Well, as we come to prayer, we're going to learn from the example of King Jehoshaphat. And that that's my favorite name in Scripture, too. I love Jehoshaphat. It's a great name, but the reminder from last week was, don't name your child Jehoshaphat. And this is the big idea for today. 
Renewal requires us to humbly seek God through confident prayer. And that means that prayer is the means, there's the definite article, the means and the way that we pursue relation, uh, pursue renewal from God. It has to happen in prayer. Well, let's understand what's going on in the life of Jehoshaphat. I really would have liked to have, Dave, to have read chapter 17 through 20, but that would have been cruel to everybody. Not that the scripture is deficient, uh, but there's a lot of Old Testament names in those passages. Well, King Jehoshaphat, you can read chapter 17 and 19 later, and I encourage you to do so. Um, he inherited the kingdom of Judah from his father Asa. You'll remember that Judah, after King Solomon had been, or Israel had been split into two nations. The northern ten tribes were called Israel, and the southern ten, the southern two tribes were called Judah. So Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern tribes of Judah. And Asa, his father, had largely been a good king. Asa had seen revival break out in the land when they sought God's face. So much so that the people of Judah gathered and people from Israel up north saw what was happening and wanted to be a part of it. And they gathered together and they renewed the covenant before Jehovah to be faithful to him and to seek his face. And so for 40 years, roughly, Judah had experienced peace and prosperity. And so this is the kingdom that's been handed to Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat had it all. He had everything when he received the kingdom. He had wealth and prestige. I'm going to read uh, from chapter 17, verse 5. It says, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat. He had great riches and honor. He had wealth. He had prestige. Even the even the uh, 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 people from outside of Judah, the the uh, Philistines who were their age-old enemies and the Arabs from surrounding countries, it says they brought Jehoshaphat tribute of oxen and sheep and camels. He had it all. He had power. If you look at chapter 17 and verse 12 and following, he set up, he set up fortified cities around, around Judah. He filled them with garrisons of soldiers and stores for war, supplies for war. And then it, it, the chronicler takes several verses to list his army. He had an army of over 1.1 million men, plus the garrisons that were stored in the cities. He had it all. And then he had a sp- healthy spiritual walk with God. We see that in chapter 17, verses 3 through 4. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He didn't seek the Baals, that is, the false gods of the nations around him. But he sought the God of his father, and he walked in his commandments. And then it says this, his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. I love that phrase. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. See, it would have been easy for Jehoshaphat to receive the kingdom and say, this is good enough. I got this. I'm just going to continue on where we are. We've seen revival. I'm walking with the Lord. There's peace and safety around. We have what we need. But there was a healthy spiritual dissatisfaction in Jehoshaphat's heart. 
And what happened? We see that the moment he takes the throne. Now, chapter 17 and verse 7 says this. In the third year of his reign, he did the following. Well, we need to understand that his father Asa had sinned at the end of his life. And as a result, became diseased. So there was this overlap of reigns. So the final years of his father Asa, Jehoshaphat stepped in to reign where his father was failing. And so probably these th- first three years that it's talking about there, it probably meant the, o- the crossover years. And so what's significant about this verse is that at the end of three years, when his father died, Jehoshaphat had been planning something. And when you read the following chapter 17 and chapter 19, what he did, first thing he did is he sent priests and Levites and officials into all the land of Judah to do this. They taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. See, Jehoshaphat wants more. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want Judah to stay where it is. He wants renewal. He wants revival. And he starts with God's word and he sends the people out to teach. Later on chapter 19, you'll see that Jehoshaphat himself goes out among the people to teach and to bring them back to the Lord. He sets up a justice system throughout the land. And he's very careful to say, you judge the affairs of, of our people. You judge under God's authority. You judge for God's glory. You judge so that he's just. It's not about me, Jehoshaphat. It's about God and his glory. And so here we come to chapter 20. Everything's going well. Jehoshaphat is thriving. Judah is thriving. And then we have chapter 20, which Dave read. Judah is threatened. Now, Jehoshaphat learned from his father. See, Asa had a very similar situation. He was threatened in the prime of his reign. When the northern kingdom of Israel came down and began to attack Judah. But see, Asa sinned. He relied on power and wealth and prestige to get him out of that jam. And he used his wealth to buy security from the Assyrians. And so God punished him. And and Jehoshaphat saw this. Not only did he want more, not only did he want revival, but he saw the failings of his father. And now we have this this case in chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, that David read, that these men have come down against Judah, this huge army of these kingdoms that were uh, had been under the thumb of of Judah. They were had paid tribute to Judah, and they rebelled, and they were coming up against Judah. And Jehoshaphat responds by practicing our foundational verse for the series. Jehoshaphat responds by humbling himself. Now, how do we know Jehoshaphat was a humble man? It never says anywhere in the narrative that he was a humble man. But it's written all through the narrative. When you read his language, it's all God. 
God, 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 God. I'm, I'm concerned for God's glory and God's justice and pursuing God and coming back to God and renewing the covenant with God and concerned that my people are following God. It was never about Jehoshaphat. And he's in this place of wealth and prestige and power. And it's never about him. And then, picture yourself this mighty king with an army that could probably blow away any nation around, with wealth and prestige and fortified cities and this other army's coming up against him. I probably would have been like, really? They're going to try it? All right, guys, saddle up. Here we go. And we're going to take them out. I'm the king. I'm supposed to rule my people. I'm supposed to exude confidence amongst my people. That would have been a prideful way to respond. But Jehoshaphat, what does he do? Verse 3 of chapter 20. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set his face to seek the Lord. And he did it in front of the people. This prayer that he prays for deliverance is in front of all the people. He's not afraid to say, God, I don't have this. I don't know what to do. I'm humbling myself before you. And as we saw, he sought God's face. And it's his prayer that we come to. He wanted God to heal the land. Now, before we look at this prayer, remember, what's happening? The land is threatened. What's the land? The land is the object of the old covenant promises. So for us to understand this in our situation, Jehoshaphat was a king. He had influence over an entire nation. But if we consider him, he was a Christian who was concerned first about renewal within his own life. He was concerned about renewal within his sphere of influence. And the promises, God's promises, of the covenant were being threatened. We have our own spiritual lives to be concerned about. We should want renewal within them. We have spheres of influence. We have sports teams that we play on. We have a social media presence. We have our classmates. We have our people at work. We have our families. These are all areas of influence that not only should we be concerned about renewal in our lives, we should be concerned and praying for renewal within our sphere of influence. And particularly when the covenant is threatened. What threatens our covenant promises? Well, first of all, ourselves. We're a sinful people. I'm a rotten person inside. When you look at the sinful nature, and it just keeps coming out. And I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to my spiritual walk. We have threats from outside. We're influenced by our classmates. We're influenced by the culture around us. Our situation that may work may threaten our covenant promises. And it's when that happens, the prayer should be just like the prayer of Jehoshaphat. And that's what we want to walk through. Because he gives us a pattern that when we're spiritually dissatisfied, when our covenant blessings are threatened, we must seek renewal through prayer. What does this prayer look like? Well, first of all, it's God-focused. It's God-focused. That's verses 6 through 9. And you say to me, well, uh, uh, isn't prayer naturally God-focused? I mean, who else am I talking to? I'm not talking to the air. 
I'm not talking to another person. Well, there's God focused and there's God addressed and there's God focused. When we go to God with our shopping list prayers, which it is right for us to pray for our needs. I'm not, not disparaging that at all. But when we go to the God with the, I need this and I need this and I need to make you aware that this is happening so you can fix it over here for me. Who's the object of that prayer? It's me. Me, me, me. I need, I want, I'm. Jehoshaphat's prayer was not that way. Look at verses 6 through 9. In in verse 6, it says this. This is how he begins. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms and the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. God, you're sovereign. You're the one I approach. You got this. And then he prays to a God who's faithful. He acknowledges God's faithfulness. Verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to your descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. God, you fulfilled your covenant promises. You've been faithful. You drove out the people. You gave us the land. You're the sovereign God. You're the faithful God. And then he says, God, your word is certain. That's verse 9. Where Jehoshaphat calls back to our foundational verse. Notice the the similarities. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine. If I'm spiritually dissatisfied. says this, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house. We will cry to you in your affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. God, I know what your word says. You've said when we humble ourselves and we seek your face and we pray and we turn from our wicked ways that you will hear, you will save, you will renew. And God, we're praying according to your sovereignty and your faithfulness and your promises that are found in your word. And so our prayer becomes God-focused. Secondly, in our prayers, my desires align with God's desires. His desires are the most important. Verses 10 and 11. And now behold, these men have come down whom you would not let Israel invade when they came to the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession which you have given us to inherit. God, your purposes for us, this is your covenant that you initiated and you established. Your purpose for your people is to dwell in the land in safety. And God, your your those are your desires. But God, I want those to be my desires so that I'm praying according to what you want. And we want to humble ourselves and seek our face and turn from our wicked ways, and we want you to heal the land. That's your desire, God. And so our prayers become God-focused. And then I humbly petition God to act. Verse 12. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We humbly petition God to act according to his promises. 
And how does God respond? Well, first of all, I got this. Verse 15, God responds through uh, one of the Levites. says, tomorrow, uh, says, do not be afraid of this great, do, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Who fulfills God's covenant promises in the, amongst his people? It's God. It's God. It's God. And God says, I got this. Number two, he says, obey me. You want to know what to do in the midst of these circumstances? You want to know when you desire renewal, when you want more? What do you, and you say, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get renewal? What does God say? He says, obey me. Verse 16. Tomorrow, go down against them. Obey me. Trust that my instructions to you are right and good. See, God's instructions to us aren't often difficult. We kind of know what they are in scripture. Doing them might be difficult, but what he's asked us to do, the normal Christian practices that he's called us to, aren't that hard. He says, you want renewal? Obey me. Number three, he says, stand in my strength. Verse, the beginning of verse 17. He says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm and hold your position. I want you to obey me. I want you to go down. But remember who fights this battle. These are my covenant promises. This, you are my people. This is my land and I will fight for you. The Bible doesn't have the answer to every individual question we can ask. But what it does do is speak wisdom into every single question that we can ask. And his instructions are simple if we follow them. And then fourthly, he says this, prepare to have your mind blown. When you come to me and you seek my face according to my character and my promises and my covenant, and you want me to act according to my will, prepare to have your mind blown and ask for it. Look at verse the end of verse 17. He says this, Stand firm, hold your position, and you will see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And he does. He blows their minds. They go down. They're all dead. The enemy's gone. They've routed themselves. And not only that, they spent three days hauling away the plunder. So not only did they not have to do anything, but simply obey and go down God rewarded them with tons and tons of plunder. And they came back worshiping the Lord. Now, this is not prosperity gospel. If we do all these things, not God's not going to give us the bigger house and the beamer and all of these other things. That's not what he says. I'm going to blow your mind with how I can renew you and increase your faith and how I will show you my character and I'm going to blow you away by me. And that is what is certain. Whenever our prayers are a plea to God's character and God's faithfulness and God's word and God's covenant promises, the answer is always yes. Concerned about getting a yes answer from God? 
pray according to his promises and his character and his word. And for us individually, the answer is always yes. What does he say in Philippians? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until Christ returns. So the answer for our own individual lives to be revived and renewed, that prayer for, oh God, I want more, is always a yes. But the question still may remain, how how do we do this? Like, Like, what's this look like for me? When I go home and I have the dog to deal with, and I got the kids who need to get ready for school tomorrow, and my life's going to start again tomorrow. This is all right for a king. He had loads of time on his hand. Like, he had cleaners and stuff that did all the stuff for him, right? He didn't have to worry about time. Well, first of all, understand that prayers for revival are unique. The rest of the prayer, our our lives, Paul said, pray without ceasing. And it's right to have the short two-minute prayers before work that said, God, give me the strength today. It's right to bring before him our needs and our positions. It's right to come before him and say, God, I I don't know what to do in this situation. It's right for us to pray for those who are sick and, and, and to present our desires before him and say, God, my desires are for you to heal. Please, God, all of those prayers are right. But prayers for renewal are unique. They're not the shopping list prayers. They're less about me and all about God. They are deep interactions with our God where we take the time to commune with him, to sit in his presence, and to pray the way Jehoshaphat prayed. Because they're based on God's promises, God's desires for us, which is to grow in grace and knowledge and the truth. So you might still ask, how do we do it? I have some practical suggestions. And I went to an ancient theologian for some some advice. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. There you have it. How do I pray for renewal in my life? Do you try? Simply do, or do not. There is no try. End of sermon. that good enough? No, it's not good enough. But there is some truth to that. We can't, we can't pray for revival unless in our own lives and in the, in our culture and in our church and in our country, unless we do it. See, we do what we want to do. If we want to pursue a sport, we do it. If we want to watch the game on Sunday afternoons, we do it. If we want to rip the printer apart for the 15th time, we do it. This is a good scold for all of us, including me. We have time to do what we want to do. Maybe we need to schedule the time. Keith challenged us last week to... to uh, uh, redeem our smartphones, and they have timers on them. You know, maybe what we need to do to get into the habit of praying like this is to schedule the time and put it into our phones. You know, 
you read the, those who study these things say it takes two to three months to establish a new habit. That's just practical. And maybe it's not going to come easy at first. But if we don't do, we won't get there. Here's another one. Whoops. I already had it up there. Maybe we need to use a prayer list or a journal. Now, sometimes a prayer journal is used to record our prayers so that later on we can see how God has answered those prayers, and it's right to do that. But maybe we need to expand that prayer journal a little bit, and maybe we need to have a page with the character of God. List his characteristics and maybe some scriptures that we can go to so that as we're praying, we know what God are we praying to, and we can pray according to his character. Maybe we take the time to list our New Testament promises that we have in Christ with some verses so that we know how to pray through them or learn from others. The Psalms give us some amazing patterns for prayer. Or it could be other people around us who have walked with God and who have a deep prayer life. You know, Robin and I, when we were first married, the church we went to still had Wednesday night prayer meetings. And we went to those Wednesday night prayer meetings, and we were the youngest people probably by 30 years. But what happened? When we sat and prayed with those gray-haired saints, and we heard them pray, it taught us how to pray. And it gave us a deep yearning to pray like that, because they had communed with God, and their prayers were rich and fervent. And I remember one man that I prayed with, he just, Scripture just flowed from him. Not that he quoted it, verbatim, but all his language was just scriptural. So maybe we need to get help from some other people. And maybe we need to do it with others. Maybe we need to find that person, that friend, and we can say, hey, you know what? Can you hold me accountable? Could, could we get together and learn how to pray for revival together? Could we maybe go through scripture together and find God's promises and, and find his character? Maybe we need to work on that together. The Christian life is never meant to be solo. That's why we're here in community. But I can guarantee you this, as Keith guaranteed in the introduction, the individual prayer for renewal to the sovereign God of heaven who himself has established a covenant with us, who he himself has made covenant promises that will never fail, Those prayers are always a yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are thankful that you are a God who's so amazing, who's reached down out of heaven and made a covenant with your people, a covenant that you ensure with promises that you keep I pray, Father, that we would humble ourselves before you and truly seek your face. Teach us how to do that, Father. Young, old, doesn't matter, student, worker, we all have the ability because we all have the Holy Spirit if we are yours in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.